Welcome. Hello, everybody, and welcome to 40 Going On 14. I am Mike. I am Patrick. I'm Joel. And I'm Josh. And this week we're talking about I Love Lucy and being the Ricardos in a horrible week where they had to deal with uh, infidelity scandals. Uh, the difficulty of being a woman in Hollywood, studio interference, difficulty of being a minority in Hollywood. Thank God we've left all that behind us. And we now live in a utopia. Where we're all communist. This is not the turn I was expecting for this show. I'm going to go back to Father Abraham. <laughs> Please don't. <laughs> all right. So this week we are taking on now. Yeah, we just want to point this out. If we were going to do an I Love Lucy show, we can honestly probably do a whole month just talking about I Love Lucy. There's so much going on there with, you know, Lucy O'Ball and her career and all that. But so this is going to be kind of a brief on the I Love Lucy thing, you know, because we don't want to have three hours on I Love Lucy, though, though that would be fun. Yeah, Lucy O'Ball could be her own show if there was any semblance of a now. If there was a now, right. right. Yeah. But even the then would be an hour and a half long. So. But yes, if you are looking for any of our older stuff, you can find us on 708 Now Rap, 708-669-9727. What? You, what? What? If you're, if you're looking for our older stuff, you can find us on 708 Now Rap. Is that where our older stuff is located now? It is now. <laughs> uh, if you call in, he'll just play it for you. And- I'll just Ooh, play it, yeah. That'd be cool. Just, you call me. Uh, it's it's kind of like the uh, Hollow Notes uh, dial-a-song. Or they might be giants. Yeah, that's a yeah. good idea. Except, yeah. Imagine if Hall and Oates were actually playing the song. I will do the Mike show is just for going you. To read the transcript of the show to you. Mm-hmm. I will impersonate Patrick, Josh, and Joel. I don't know. And <laughs> somebody, somebody there might want that. I have had a hell of a week at this point already. I'm just pointing that out right now. So, but if you would like to get in touch with us. Call us at 708-NOW-RAP, 708-669-9727, and please do. We would love to hear from you. We have got a link in the show notes where you can click that and just send us a message. That's it. It's a Google form. Click it. Send us a message. Click it. Upload an audio file. Communicate with us. Please let us know we're just not shouting into the darkness. Yeah, we like hearing from people. Yeah, we really I, do. I like shouting into the darkness. Well, we like that too. Shouting. Yeah, but the darkness is your neighbor behind your house, and he's very upset and kind of nervous too. Good. Yeah. That's why I do it. <laughs> a Norwegian metal band, is that right? What? Or are they Danish? Like that guy in his drum circle. <laughs> oh, Aren't man. most drums circular? No, there's square drums oh. somewhere, I guess. I'll have to check with Wigwam. But yes, join us. <laughs> And uh, you can also join us on Discord. Click that link and join us on the chat. We are actually currently talking about different versions of Mountain Dew and caffeinated beverages. Which uh, is pretty good considering our question of the week from the archives. Yeah, the question of the week is, what is your caffeinated beverage of choice? Coffee, cola, tea, or whatever? That is very uh, apropos. Good, good, good call and weird way that all that worked out 
I mean, for me, it's pretty uh, like I have the same uh, six or seven all the time. Like I have coffee in the morning Mm -hmm. and then uh, I always have three different 12 packs, depending on what's on sale. It's either cherry and vanilla Coke zero or like uh, Dr. Pepper uh, zero sugar and uh, diet Dr. Pepper zero sugar and diet Dr. Pepper and cream soda. Uh, zero sugar. Uh, for me, uh, it's, it's similar to what Josh was saying. Uh, I, you know, have my, my coffee and my FOJ, which is a uh, diet sun kissed that I have. Um, then I have I'm, the rest. I'm sorry. FOJ. I call it FOJ cause I, I don't drink orange juice. So it's, it's my fake orange juice. So I call it FOJ. It's diet, diet sun kissed. It's like orangey. All right. All right. Continue. Continue. Yeah. So then for lunch, I'll have the rest of my coffee. Um, I drink water throughout the day. So that's not carbonated, obviously, or caffeinated, excuse me. Um, but then I, I, I enjoy a good uh, monster beverage. So uh, I preferred the, the, the chaos was my favorite. But when they stopped making it uh, chaotic is the closest thing that exists to that anymore. So. I like that one. Um, I like the Ultra Sunshine, which is their diet orange one, and uh, the Gold. I forget what it's called. Something Gold. It tastes like pineapple, kind of. That, that's that's good. I dig that one. And the watermelon ones are right. Are those all caffeinated? Yeah. Huh. Okay. Yeah. yeah usually think... the fruit flavored beverages uh, eschew caffeine. Oh well. The, the... Monster and fruit is in quotes, <laughs> right? <laughs> well, and, and the diets, orange soda, it it's it's kind of like root beer, where it's not as easy to find a caffeinated orange soda or a caffeinated root beer. So unless it's Barks or Sunkist, you're kind of out of luck. Yeah, especially now the chaos is gone. And I like diet Sunkist, and I don't like regular Sunkist. It's the weird thing, but I don't. That's wild. I don't like any diet drinks. Ugh. Oh man, Cherry Coke Zero was is good, man. It's good stuff. I just want all the sugar I can drink. I literally have a Cherry Coke Zero in front of me right now. Good man. What about I you, just, Pat? I just leaded all the sugar, all the caffeine, anything. Like I used to drink Jolt Cola all the time. Oh man, uh, I haven't been one of those in decades. Yeah, probably, you, I, you can get over here by me. Yeah, for me it would be uh, just my standard is uh, Coca Cola. Or sweet tea, or sometimes uh, Red Bull, just depending. Those are the three main ones. Huh. Now, yeah. sweet tea is is literally just iced tea, but it's got a heavy amounts of like sugar in it, right? Or some sort of sweet. I mean, no, but yes. Oh, I mean, no. It's a, sweet tea is all <clears throat> really. The thing about sweet tea is about the presentation more, or, or about the um the um not presentation the uh, presentation of this tea in a glass. Shut <laughs> up. So it's it's about the creation of it really more than anything. It's like when you when you're making it, you need to like make a simple syrup, and that's pretty much you know. Oh, like you so don't it's... just add sugar to water. You know, you have to you have to like do it all this. You have to add the water to the sugar first. <laughs> I mean, you have to make right. this. Uh, you have to make a, a, a concentrate, a super concentrate. You know. So, oh, okay. Huh. I did not. Yeah. I actually didn't know that. I'm yeah. learning something. Or to be huh. considered like real sweet tea, but there's all kinds of sweet tea that really is just you know you add sugar to tea and they call it sweet tea but i always thought it was just like 
it was a heavily sweetened tea, literally with like sugar or some sort of sweetener. And then for the ones that you could buy in the store or whatever, like that are pre-made, they just had it all mixed in. I didn't realize mm. there was like a technically a right way to, or a, a like yeah, to process, more correct I guess way. That's, yeah, to create it or whatever. Yeah. Huh. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. If you don't, if you don't do it with, you know, with like a hot, simple syrup, it's technically not a Southern sweet tea. Today I learned something. Me yeah. too. What about you, Mike? No. I mean, oh, I don't drink caffeine. <laughs> you had just didn't put it into yeah, the fucking yeah. IV. It's, yeah, I chew on it like a rock. Um, <laughs> let's see. Between working for a Caribou and Starbucks over six years, I have a debilitating caffeine addiction. I drink about a pot and a half of coffee every morning before noon. Uh, he said my, morning, ladies and gentlemen. Yeah, every morning about a pot and a half. I just I wanted went to, to the, make sure they heard that. Oh yeah. yeah. I go to the, I go to the dentist and they're like, Oh, you have some staining on your teeth. Do you drink a lot of coffee? I'm like, well, what's a lot? Do you have more than three cups a day? I'm like how big are the cups? See, my urethra <laughs> is stained, man. Yeah, <laughs> went to the bathroom and burned a hole in the pot. Um, <laughs> uh, I actually like, here, here's something I've actually toned it down. My caffeine. I try, I try to cut it short as of noon, but if I have anything in the afternoon uh, f- to keep myself going, you know, like about that three o'clock slump, I will make myself, I have a, a um, double bergamot uh, English uh, Earl Grey that I make. That's really good. Have that. Uh, but if I really need a charge, I actually, it sounds kind of corny, but I go to the... Um, the drink called Balls, B-A-W-L-S. Oh, yeah. My buddy of yeah. mine drinks that. Yeah, so they have, you can, at the place by me, you can get them in. They, and you were looking for caffeinated root beer. They have caffeinated root beer, uh, cherry cola, orange cola, and regular. And the thing I like about it is, like, everyone's like, oh, Red Bull, Red Bull, Red Bull. Red Bull tastes like you're drinking, like, it's like drinking it's sweet tarts. Sweet tarts, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Balls is like a, if you get the blue bottle or the blue can, it's like a caffeinated cream soda. And then the orange, the cherry, and the root beer, just they taste like they're supposed to. There's no like weird taste to them. But um, it reminds me, it, I'm trying to think who was with us when I, but Gen Con one year before, I had bought two cases of balls before I went down. And it was... <laughs> Yes, Patrick. I was I lasted as long as I could, damn it. <laughs> Two cases of balls. Um, Mike's talking about balls for five minutes. I lasted very long. <laughs> yeah, I'm proud of you. I really yeah, am. Yeah, 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 it's pretty good. Pretty good. Uh, but I went to we went to Jay's place the night before we left for Gen Con. It was it was me, Jay, Will, and Amanda, and we finished one case with just the four of us. And it got to the point where he literally called the phone number on the back of the bottle that was like, if you think you need some kind you know, like you may have, this is too much caffeine, call this number just in case, you know, we'll give you a little guidance. So it was like one in the morning, we'd been playing Risk all night. And it, it that just, and Josh, you'd be proud because it just broke down to us having a pile of pieces and just rolling dice. Screw the map, roll the dice, get rid of some pieces, that sort of thing. But we drank, the four of us drank an entire case of it and were really strung out for a while. <laughs> I, I have discovered over the years that I do, since I worked at the grocery store, having to be there at like three and four in the morning, I do have a tell 
for when I've had too much caffeine. Oh, Have we I know. talked about this? Yeah. We know. I start I start to go blind in my right eye. So that's that's my like I've had too much caffeine. I start having it's like um a cloud like starts going up from the lower right corner of my eye across my vision. Like people about to get a uh, migraine sort of thing. Whoops. Yeah. But uh but it takes quite a bit. But I have had it happen enough times, you know, maybe counted on two hands that it's happened, but I see, I mean, I've been drinking soda. Like I I was a huge Coke drinker from way too young. Like that was a thing when I was a kid, my great aunt always had Coca-Cola on hand. And so I, you know, so I've been drinking, that was my drink of choice for a long time. Nowadays, like if I don't have that, the rest of my coffee and, and my, my other Foge by like, I don't know, one, two o'clock in the afternoon, I started to get a wicked bad headache. Uh, and then, you know, I have my monster later in the day, usually like around this time. So yeah, I feel your pain, man. But I also love it. I, I tried to give it up once when I was at, when I worked at Trader Joe's, I tried to give it up for Lent once. And You're after nuts. like, yeah, oh, after like three days, I would come back to like the office and there would be, there was a, a cup of coffee sitting on the counter in the, in the office. It just had a post-it note on it that said, it's for the best. <laughs> uh, Jesus understands. Drink this. Jesus, yeah. Jesus gets it. You do not need to put yourself through this, but I've tried. I've tried to get rid of, rid of the caffeine thing. You know, like, oh, man, I'll just, what if I just drink a lot of water, flush it out of my system? Then I just spend all day peeing. I mean, I do that anyway, but not just because I drink so many damn liquids all the time. But I do, to my credit, I drink a shit ton of water all day long. Like, all day long, I'm drinking water constantly. So I feel like it even too. All day long. All right. That means between you and me, we drink a normal amount of water for one person. <laughs> well, I don't drink any water hardly at all, so I drink us back right down. So yeah, yeah. No, I'm 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 with you. I rarely like I'll have a glass of water with Mio occasionally, but uh, yeah, not very often. Actually, just straight water, almost never. Whereas my kid Isaiah beats me in terms of water drinking. Like he drinks water. Like it's going out of style and nothing else like doesn't like anything else, but water S- makes me look bad. And I always feel like I, I drink more than enough for, for a couple people and he drinks even more than I do. Yeah. So. I don't. All right, Mike, make sure to later edit out that little thing that says Isaiah beats me. Just cut that out. <laughs> that's that's going to be my new um, message tone for every time Joel messages me. Isaiah beats <laughs> I... me. <laughs> I have one of those things in the shower for my coffee. Are you like serious? A, oh, yeah. I got the little coffee cup holder. That's crazy. You guys are ridiculous. I don't I have mean, that. Well, anyway, this isn't the caffeine show. We need to move on. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Have I we done a caffeine about that show? Time. We have. We talk no, coffee. We, that's right. We did. Well, we talk uh, coffee, not caffeine. But anyway. All right. Question. In which case, it is about that time. This week in... Music, movies, and TV. And sports. So this week, we are going with October 15th, 1951. And he wrote, guess what happened then? 
Uh, I don't know. Uh, the number one song in the land was oh no, that's the first one. It was, it was um it was the premiere of the damn show. I mean, I just Roscoe Tanner uh, was born. Move along. Moving, moving on. All right. So. Okay. <laughs> Music. Uh, in October fifteenth, nineteen fifty-one, the number one song in the land was "Because of You" by Tony Bennett. I like me some Tony Bennett. In a very soothing he, voice. Yeah. yeah. I don't know that song, but he's. I don't think I do either. Off the by the title, I don't. It was the number one song, Patrick. You should know this song. I know a lot of songs. I just don't know that one. You do. It's true. All right, moving on. Uh, so born October 19th, Annie Golden is an American actress and singer who first came to prominence as a lead singer of the punk band The Shirts, with whom she recorded three albums. She began her acting career in the Broadway revival and film version of Hair. Other notable film credits include Desperately Seeking Susan, Strictly Business, Prelude to a Kiss, 12 Monkeys, and the acronym of the week, which is ILYPM. I'm pretty sure that stands for I licked your panties, mom. <laughs> wow. Oh, wow. Isaiah <laughs> beats me. <laughs> <laughs> oh, the voice wow. kind of made that one too. Yeah, that was uh... No, that's I love you, Philip Morris. Wow. No. Everyone's vaguely uncomfortable, so I, I that, Well, that's... I'm not uncomfortable, but <laughs> <laughs> that's that's the intended effect. So Pat, Pat's like, what? You've never never done like that. I have that open in a tab somewhere. <laughs> <sighs> uh, Golden is best known as Norma Romano in Orange Is the New Black, but she also appeared in Miami Vice, Cheers, Father Dowling Mysteries. Wow, that's one I haven't heard in a while. Law and Order and True Blood, among others. No, True Blue and True Blue, among others. Could let that go. Nobody would have known. That's yeah, but yes. she wasn't in True Blood, so that would be a lie. That that's why we hired you, Joel. I have to keep just, everything completely accurate on the tweet, you know. <laughs> I just want to point out that Tony Bennett is still touring. So probably not for, anymore. No, literally October twenty twenty two, Friday the seventh. I thought they isn't he the one they were talking recently is having all kinds of dementia issues. That's why he's touring. He's just lost. <laughs> they're just, they just got a GPS on him and like, well, it looks like he's hitting here now. <laughs> it's Tony Bennett <laughs> duet classics, a night of Tony and the divas he loves. But yeah, I, I, I think he's having dementia issues, so it might be the last tour. Well, I mean, that's... Uh... I don't think so. Well, who was it that Lady Gaga was on stage with at the Oscars? Liza, Liza not Liza Minnelli. Minnelli. Liza um, Minnelli no, no, yeah. no, not the Oscars. Tony Bennett else. and Liza Minnelli. Are no, it might have been, might totally have been the Grammys. It shut. Will you shut the fuck up? It <laughs> no. might have been the Grammys instead because because uh, she appeared on stage with somebody else who was, she, that she recorded songs with. And you know what? I think he does have Alzheimer's. So but that might be what you're sing. thinking. Yeah. Similar enough. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway. yeah. In the meantime, Kiss is playing at the Wright State University Nutter Center. I swear oh. to God, if you say Tony Bennett is more metal than Kiss, I will slap <laughs> Oh, we don't have to now. In the <laughs> Nutter Center. I'm done. And finally, 
Alan Greenwood, born October 20th, is a rock musician who was a founding member and keyboardist of the rock band Foreigner from 1976 to 1980. In 1981, Greenwood formed the band Spies with former Foreigner bass player Ed Gallardi, Gagliardi, excuse me, John Blanco, John DeGuardio, 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 there's no R in there, and Billy Millam. Additionally, Greenwood played keyboard on Coolum the Candy Rapper's song, Shake It. Cool the Candy Rapper's song, Shake It. What is that? Is that a band name? I think Cool the Candy Rapper is like his rap name, I think. On Cool the Candy Rapper. I don't know. I didn't look it up. Looking it up. I just want to point out that Foreigner is still touring. (laughs) With Tony Bennett. (laughs) With Tony Bennett. It really bothers me. Are you a music agent or something? You try to sell tickets? A place that's not called The Nutter. It bothers me that Spies, the band, is misspelled. It's S-P-Y-S. Yeah, I mean, it could be, you know, it could just be S-P-Y-S. Maybe, I don't know. Like a, I mean, S-P-Y-S. There's band. nothing that comes up when you put Cool the Candy Rapper song, Shake It. Really? Maybe all I, right. hold on, let me make sure I typed everything. I look up Spies, the band. All I got was a bunch of weird videos from the TV show Totally Spies. <laughs> That's because you probably spelled it right. Yeah, the the band is totally on Wikipedia. That's S P Y S. That's not. Uh... Oh, you know what it is? I added R thirty four in there too. So that's it's. It comes up under the wiki thing, and that's it. I wonder if somebody put that in there, and it's not real. Yeah. No, maybe. I I think Cool the Candy Rapper was a uh, Howard Stern guy. Uh, that would make sense, I guess. Wow. Still more metal than Kiss. Oh, you cheese. <laughs> anyway, let's move on to movies. Please. Uh, the number one movie in the land was Across the Wide Missouri, starring Adolf Menju, Howard Keel, and Clark Gable. Huh. Yes, I said Missouri. It's in Technicolor. Also starring Ricardo Monteblon as Iron Shirt. (laughs) It'd be hard to swim. (laughs) Terry McMillan is an American novelist who achieved national attention in 1992 with her third novel, Waiting to Exhale. It was adapted into a film of the same title, directed by Forrest Whitaker and starring Whitney Houston, Angela Bassett, Loretta Devine, and Leela Roshan. In 1998, another of Macmillan's novels, How Stella Got Her Groove Back, was adapted into a film by the same name, starring Angela Bassett and Tay Diggs. Other novels that were turned into movies were Disappearing Acts, A Day Late and a Dollar Short, The Interruption of Everything, and Getting to Happy, the sequel to Waiting to Exhale. Oh, I didn't know that was a sequel. I'm conf- I got who Terry McMillan is. Yeah. What I don't she was, she got- was born this week. Okay, got it. Sorry. That's what that I was sentence. looking for. Yep, forgot that sentence. So TV. TV. Now it's time for TV. I got your TV right here. <laughs> Worst rendition of Tarzan Boy. Was it Tarzan Boy? Tarzan Boy. Yeah, that's Tarzan no, Boy. Boy. 
That is nope. really not Jungle how Boy is the uh, wrestler. The Tarzan wrestler. Boy right. is the we, song. We went over this in the pre-show. Jungle Boy is a wrestler. Tarzan Boy is a song. So, top shows in the land were the Texaco Star Theater, Fireside Theater, the Colgate Theater Comedy Hour, and your theater show of shows. No, the Colgate Comedy Hour and your show of shows are it. I mean, lots of... Your show of, of shows was the, the one of the most legendary... Right. Oh, yeah. Cruise of all time. Yeah. Sid Caesar big, was the big main show. Yeah. Really big yeah, show. Yeah. A, l- a lot of um, variety shows at this time. Yep. So, a lot of corporate sponsorship at this time, also. Brought to you by Philip Mars. Right. On October 20th, the CBS I logo made its television debut. <laughs> I see you. That's, that's kind of cool, though. You know? Because everybody knows that logo. And yep. ABC scrapped its foot. Its foot logo. They do. Everybody does. So anyway, Pam D- Pamela Dauber, as she's referred to at the dinner table, born October 18th, is a retired American actress best known for her lead television sitcom roles as Mindy McConnell in Mork and Mindy, opposite Robin Williams and Samantha Russell in My Sister Sam. She has starred in many television films and has been married to fellow actor Mark Harmon since 1987. Oh, good I for her. That. Yeah, I had no, I didn't know that until this tweet. I didn't either. Pam Dauber was a cutie. Yep. Agreed, as is Mark Harmon. And Agreed. she and Robin Williams both had to fight all uh, everybody that was trying to sexualize the character of Mindy in in the third and fourth seasons. Huh. Yep. Huh. I did not know that. There's they another thing make... I learned writing this tweet today. Yeah. Neat. I, th- I thought you were well, just I mean, going to say that neat, they, but... they, they had like to fight people by the fifth season because they ran out of ideas. It was like celebrity death match. Like they had Mork and Mindy take on like the Fonzie or something like that. They were fighting each other. The we Fonzie? may have come up did with you a say the Fonzie. Game. He the Fonzie, did say yeah. the Fonzie. Yeah, he's not the Fonzie. He's the Fonz. the Fonz or Fonzie. It's not the Fonzie. This or is Fonzarella. like the equivalent of me calling the Doctor Doctor Who. Arthur Fonzarelli. <laughs> that is also acceptable. Yes, Arthur Fonzarelli is a hundred percent acceptable. But the Fonzie is not acceptable. The Fonzie is not, sir. Well, the Ralph Mouth disagrees. You will show some goddamn respect to Arthur Fonzarelli. <laughs> That's it. That's all I have. I'm a big fan of the Doctor Whom. <laughs> the Doctor Who's It's. I love the Doctor Who's It's. He's great. All right. So also Floyd <laughs> Vivino, born October 19th, also known as Uncle Floyd, is an American television, film, and stage performer primarily known for his comedy variety TV show, The Uncle Floyd Show. It can be read as a children's show or a parody of a children's show with much of the humor aimed at adults in the style of Soupy Sales and Pee Wee Herman. The show featured character comedy, puppetry, some audience participation, musical guests, Floyd's piano playing, one of Floyd's puppel site puppel? Puppet sidekicks <laughs> was named Oogie. Local bands such as the Smithereens, the Shades, R. Stevie Moore, along with such well-known performers as the Ramones, Tiny Tim, Benny Bell, Bon Jovi, Jan and Dean, Peter Tork, 
squeeze David Johansson, the Blue Oyster Cult, Joe Jackson, and Cindy Lauper also appeared on Floyd's program. Floyd's program seems lit. I mean, that looks like a good time, right? I kind of want to. I kind of want to see this. Sounds like a frenetic mess of fun. Yeah, I've never to, heard of this. Me either. I gotta dig this up. The Uncle Floyd Show. I bet yeah, it's got a very Stanley Spadowski vibe to it. It it feels like that's what it would be. Time <laughs> <laughs> for a drink from the fire hose. <laughs> <laughs> All right, moving it. Go ahead. What the hell is this? The puppet the is un- scary. The Uncle Floyd Oogie? show. What are you talking about? Yeah, the puppet. The puppet. Oogie puppet. is scary. The puppet. <laughs> the puppet. It scared me. It's 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 a puppet. Puppet. When Joel becomes scared, he becomes Norwegian. <laughs> the puppet I've got to get myself some Luke Fisk, otherwise I won't come down. It's the puppet. The bloody puppet. All right, moving on to sports. Sports. At the at the MLB World Series, the two-time defending the champions New York Yankees beat the New York Giants 4 to 3 at Yankee Stadium for a 4 to 2 series victory on October 10th. The MVP was Yankees shortstop Phil Rizzuto. Mm, I love a good Rizzuto. Mm, shrimp Rizzuto. Mm. All right, I don't know why I did this to myself. William George Quaif was a cricketer who played for Sussex, Warwickshire, and England. Quaif is the oldest cricketer to score a century in a country championship match and the oldest cricketer to take a five-wicket haul in the county championship. A diminutive right-handed batsman with a strong defense, he made a century on his debut and, 35 laters at the age of 56, made another one on his last appearance for the county in 1928. In between, he scored more than 36,000 runs. Can you believe that? Good God. 36,000 runs with a further 70 centuries. And for good measure, took 900 wickets with leg break bowling that early in his career was suspected to be illegal. I'm assuming it was like cleared because it doesn't ever say anything more about that. So it was not actually illegal. He passed the 1,000 run mark in 25 seasons, and was the leading batsman as Warwickshire won the county championship for the first time in 1911. His career total of 36,012 runs puts him at 36th all-time on the list of run-getters. Quaif played with his son Bernard 20 times in first-class matches. On one occasion for Warwickshire against Derbyshire at Derby in 1922, the Quaifs (laughs) played against... The father-son combination of Billy Bestwick and Robert Bestwick, the smart brothers Jack and Cyril also played for Warwickshire in this match, <laughs> meaning that there were three sets of fathers, sons, and or siblings and related whatevers in one match. That's crazy. That's huh. not. Anyway, after retirement, Quaif became a cricket bat manufacturer until he died on October 13th of this week. All right. First off, I want to say, did you do something really bad this last week that you felt you need to be punished for? <laughs> right. <laughs> well, I mean, if you're keeping I, up with his life in general, <laughs> yes. I don't know the answer is yes, but I'm like, is there something out of the ordinary? Nothing else. There's something, something in the past I need to pay for. I'm sure. Yeah. Now I looked up leg break, and 
<laughs> sound ridiculous. A leg-breaking cricket is a difficult technique in which involves turning a right-handed pitch from the leg side of a right-handed batsman. A leg break can be incredibly successful if bowled correctly. And then there is a wiki how on how to bowl a leg break. It tells you how to. Mm-hmm. It tells you how to grip the balls. Yeah. <laughs> I stopped paying attention for a second. I'm going to continue. <laughs> All right, well, get us out of here. Play us off, keyboard Joel. That was a very casual laissez faire exit there, Pat. Yeah, Pat. Very laissez faire. Yeah, sorry. Sorry, Pat. Yeah, Patrick. So, anyway, I love Lucy is what we are talking about this week. And uh, I Love Lucy, the TV series, it ran from 1951 to 1957. Uh, the wife of a band leader consistently tries to become a star in spite of her having no talent and gets herself, along with her best friends, into the funniest predicaments. Uh, so this is you know, pretty generalized, yeah. but yeah, it makes sense. Yeah, that's the IMDb, you know, shitty chatty about that. This was directed by... One William Asher, who also did The Thin Man, the TV show, and The Patty Duke Show. Uh, James V. Kern, who did The Betty White Show, Maverick, and The Joey Bishop Show. Mark Daniels, who did Crazy Like a Fox, Alice, and something called Co-Ed Fever. Better get some, uh, you know, some sort of antibiotics for that. Well, and here's the thing. Well, co-ed fever only lasted one season in, not surprisingly, 1979 and had David Keith and Heather Thomas in it. So there you go. Wow. Ralph the Levy. The fever must have broken. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Ralph Levy, who also did Petticoat Junction, the Beverly Hillbillies, and the Bob Newhart Show. Huh. Yeah. Not, hmm. not a bad resume. No, that's pretty good. Yeah. On a totally unrelated note, kind of unrelated note. I started rewatching the original Bob Newhart show. Oh, so good. And it, it yeah, it's totally holds up. Mm-hmm. I'm his, glad to hear that. Yeah. His dry as paper humor is perfect. So some writing credits. We have Bob Carroll Jr. Who did 181 episodes along with Madeline Davis, who helped out with those hundred, 181 episodes as a team. Jess Oppenheimer, who had 155 episodes. Where's the noise, Joel? Okay. And then Bob Schiller and Bob Weisskopf, who did 53 episodes. Oh, the Bobs. The Bobs, yeah. Who could forget Bob Weisskopf? And in this, we have Lucille Ball playing Lucy Ricardo for 181 episodes. I know, right? She was an up-and-comer, totally out of the blue. Desi Arnaz as Ricky Ricardo. Vivian Vance as Ethel Mertz. William Frawley as Fred Mertz. Joseph A. Mayer as Little Ricky Ricardo. Michael Mayer as Little Ricky Ricardo. So they're probably twins. Yeah. And then Richard Keith as probably a little bit older Little Ricky Ricardo. Little Ricky is old enough; he doesn't need to be two people anymore. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> or he could be the third twin that they just decided they, they weren't going to name him the same. He doesn't get the same last name. Wasn't eaten. 
because that happened a lot in the 50s. They're like, yeah, I had triplets, but I don't like that one. Yeah, you are clearly the one we don't like. He's giving me the stink eye. I don't like the look of that newborn. You don't get the family name. All right, so trivia. (laughs) This is one of the first TV shows to be filmed in Hollywood at a time when many shows were done live in New York. It pioneered the use of three film cameras simultaneously, and the results were high-quality prints of a classic comedy series preserved for TV audiences. Yay. Yeah, that's awesome. Thank you, Desi. Uh, Lucille Ball decided to go ahead with the series after having a dream, which Carol Lombard, the screwball comedy actress that died in a plane crash and who was a close friend of Lucy, recommended that she take a shot at the risky idea of entering television and to get off the radio. It's like me saying I had a, I had a dream about Patrick telling me to do something after he died. You better. I, I am. I, I, on one thing I will a hundred percent say I'm a huge fan of Carol Lombard. I thought you were going to say for me. <laughs> Why would I say that? Oh. Yeah, pro tip, Pat. Oh. If you want us to do something, tell us before you die. If you try and tell us after you die, we're not going to hear it. Yeah. You don't know. I mean, I if barely listen me. to you now. Yeah. If you if you haunt us, it'll be like, I'll, I'll assume I just had too much to drink, and Josh will just assume he had too much to smoke. I'm getting a fucking exorcist if you haunt me. Rude. All right. So sometimes... Desi Arnaz's distinctive laugh can be heard on the laugh track, especially when he couldn't control his humor or laughed extremely quick just after a deep breath of inhaling air. (laughs) (laughs) He's not Jimmy Carr. Uh That's what Jimmy Carr laughs. Very similar to that. Okay. In the episode, Little Ricky Gets a Dog... Both Ricky and Lucy separately try to sneak out of the house without the other knowing. During the scene, when Lucy is putting on her jacket, you can hear a woman in the audience say, she beat him to it. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sorry. I'm thinking like 1950s. That just sounds like what the audience would say. Yep. Oh, my God. Herschel, she beat him to it. Hand me another Philip Morris. (laughs) Yeah, we got to talk a little bit about that, too. Also, the Valentine Hart figure in the opening credits, closing credits, and commercial breaks shown in syndication was not the original opening credit scenery. When the series originally aired on CBS, the opening credits featured animated clay figures of Lucille Ball and Desi Arnaz, along with the sponsor's product, Philip Morris Cigarettes, for instance. The Valentine Hart figure was created and added for the opening credits and closing credits, when CBS began rerunning the series in 1958. That is great trivia. Yeah, that was my favorite. I have to find Claymation Lucille Ball. Well, they're animated. I've never seen a clay version, but if you look look online, just look up Lucy and Desi animated, you can see the the animated versions. I'm already on it, so. Yeah. I was looking it up before we... Have the old discussion. So, completely off the wall question: Is this a first viewing for any of us? Uh, no. no, no, no. I'm probably of the four of us the least into classic TV, and I've seen quite a bit of I Love Lucy. This is probably my mother's favorite sitcom, so I grew up watching a lot of episodes of this. 
this uh it's a big part of my life it's important so yeah i've i've seen all the episodes many many times i've seen all the episodes at least once i've seen several of them many times this is my first viewing no serious? it's not no no it's not. oh i was gonna say what? yeah that seems unlikely yeah especially considering i'm the classic movie guy right well, you still haven't um, seen Godfather, though. So. No, I haven't not seen Godfather. Yeah, yeah, but that's not like an old school black and white movie. That's I was like gonna say it's not black and white. That's yeah, yeah. That's that's like my wheelhouse is the old black and white stuff. So it really is, and I watch a lot of black and white movies, but I not not to not like Mike. Yeah. So let's let's have some thoughts. Let's you know. Okay, so we've got I Love Lucy. When was the first time that you guys ever remember seeing I Love Lucy? Hmm. I don't actually remember the first time I saw it. I was young enough that I don't have like clear memories of whether I was like three or four or like, it's one of those things that's just kind of always been there. Yeah. Same here. It's like, it's just something that's always been in my life because, you know, ever since I was, could, could crawl, you know, it's been something my mom would put on the TV. Yeah. This is, I think, oh, good. I go through a tunnel. <laughs> go ahead, Joel. No, I was, please go right ahead. Go ahead. I'm oh, just wait. saying that it seems to me, I'm kind of like with Josh, where I Love Lucy is just something that was kind of like, I don't say playing in the background, but you kind of watched it every day. Yeah. Because, you know, it kind of showed up on Channel 32 every day in Chicago. Yeah, because there, there was a back-to-back episodes of like all the classic shows for a while there in, in Chicago all the time. Oh, yeah. If you just left it on the TV, you would watch like, well, it was like All in the Family and then, you know, the Jeffersons and then... All in the Family, you know, the Jeffersons, we would have... I Love Lucy and... I Love you know, Lucy. Leave it yeah, to I Beaver Lucy, or something. You know? leave it, yeah. Nah. Man, I don't know. I mean, Beaver. I'm just saying. Like, there, there, were fan, always, yeah. there were always classic sitcoms playing and I Love Lucy has always been in syndication. Yeah, yeah. I mean, th- this and uh, Gilligan's Island are really the two I watched. Like oh, yeah. most of the others, like I'm, I've seen them, but these were the ones I like actually watched. Watched. Andy yeah. Griffith was one of my dad's other, one of my dad's favorites. So between those two, those are the main two I watched of the old black mm-hmm. and white sitcoms. Well, I remember because I I spent a lot of time at my great aunt's because uh, whenever my mom was at work and I wasn't in school, I had to be somewhere um, when I was younger. And for as long as I can remember, that's kind of what I associated with Lucy because I always watched Lucy when I was hanging out with her. Um, Either that or the Beverly Hillbillies, which she always on every episode of the Beverly Hillbillies, she's like, you know, Buddy Epson is used to be a song and dance man. Um, (laughs) Yep. And so, you know, I grew grew up. Here's an interesting question for you. Did you know that he was the original Tin Man in The Wizard of Oz? Yep. Yep. that yep. He was, was allergic, allergic to the paint. Okay, all right, moving on then. Fine. Uh, <laughs> yes, we did know that. But that, thank did you. you know, did you know that Buddy Epson was a song and dance man, though? Before <laughs> Buddy Epson was on the Beverly Hillbillies. But so, yeah, I mean, that that was my, probably my, the thing I associate with it most and probably my first real exposure. Although I do remember um, when she passed away, it's the only celebrity that I ever cried when when they died. And I remember hearing it in, on the news um, on my little TV that I had in my room, like a little like 14-inch tiny little TV. Um, I remember when she passed away, and it was 
incredibly sad. What the hell is that? What? We worry about it later. Okay. Anyway. <laughs> uh, okay. No, the here here's the thing. It's like it was one of those shows that I did not realize was I mean, I didn't know what the hell syndication was. You know, when I when it was on, on TV at my grandmother's house and that sort of thing. I love this show just for the sheer fact of it having like in she well pushing forward to the to the now commentary about the physical comedy. It made me laugh when I was a kid because, you know, the the candy uh, conveyor belt episode with them show, you know, trying to get all the candies wrapped made me laugh when I was a kid. Now I watch it and the, the dialogue and the, the rapport between everybody and the, the, the beat of the humor makes me laugh for an entirely different reason. Yeah. yeah. I, like uh, physical comedy yeah. lasts a lot longer than, than most forms of comedy too. That's why, you know, the, the, um, the Marx brothers are still funny when they do their, their physical vaudeville type comedy. Mm-hmm. And I was worried about that. Like it's been very, a lot of years for me because I don't, regularly go back and watch a lot of classic tv i basically only do it if we're doing an episode like this and i was concerned that my memories of it being funny like it wasn't gonna hit the same and i found myself laughing out loud at this probably as much or more than modern comedies and i was really glad to see that and i think pat's hit the nail on the head it's because especially lucy was such a gifted physical comedian well, and not just her, but Vivian Vance and William Frawley, you know, the Mertzes, they were totally in on it also. I mean, like one of the number one shows that everybody remembers is uh, Fred and Ethel have a fight with the two of them sitting at the dinner table. They got into it. I mean, what was it that Fred had been in, or not Fred, but William Frawley had been in, um, crap, just lost it. Help me, Josh. What is it called? On stage, you are on vaudeville. vaudeville. Yeah, the vaudeville type uh, comedy for so many years before he even got to this that he had that rhythm down. He knew what to do. Yeah, they all they all had, had you know classic training as far as like you know kinesthetics. You know, as as he says in the in the movie, you know, body movement. So they're all just really gifted comedians. That's why, even though. There was very little chemistry among the cast. It didn't matter because they were all gifted enough that it overcame that. I mean, there there's some things that as I was rewatching episodes uh, that I was like, OK, that probably wouldn't fly now. Like um, Fred, like here, you know, Slipper or Mickey, um, you know, you, you're not going to sedate your wife without her knowing about it. Right. I mean, I could see somebody doing that joke if they did it on accident, but to actively get you know, some sort of like a pill from your, your friend to give to your wife. So she'll, you know, anyway, yeah, th- there are some things in it that, that have their moments where you're like, yeah, that probably wouldn't fly right now. But yeah, there isn't really anything that's overtly um, cringy or that feels super dated. Um, and I mean, so the fact the, that the takeaway is to not do that with the pill. Correct. Yeah, I, okay. one, I, I was wondering for clarification on that. Okay. And then the fact that, I mean, considering the time when it was on the air to have an interracial couple, 
that were, you know, married, happily married, um, and, you know, were having kids and they, they were successful. And, you know, there was a lot of things that, that, uh, uh, you've never seen before. Well, um, never can't say pregnant. Right. Pregnant. <laughs> pregnant. 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 Well, pushed apart. That's how they got the uh, code word for expecting. That came from, that was the word the studio wanted them to use. And after it appeared on Lucy, it became, that was, we're, now we're expecting. Synonymous, yeah. Yeah. Hmm. Huh. Just like when I say, hey, we're eating for two. And I, I feel like Lucille Ball kind of was the progenitor for me as far as, um, you know, being a fan of, of uh, strong female characters and especially female comedians who, uh, as I said in the, the, the movie version, you know, they were talking about how she could do these just hilarious pratfalls or whatever, but always still remain, you know, feminine and, um, you know, was it. She just didn't care. She was willing to do whatever she needed to, to, to get the joke, you know. And her singing is why you like Juliana Hatfield. Yeah, she, she, she actually has a. She doesn't sound at all like her, but no, I, I get, making, I get what you're saying. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm just making but, another dig at Juliana Hatfield for no reason. She's she's not got the worst voice. I mean, they play it up in the show, of course, but right. Um, plus, there was great musical numbers. You know, you can't get can't uh, argue with that. Yeah, like the um, Cuban Pete. Yep. Yeah. Ole, ole, ole. Babalu was uh, something that uh, brought uh, Desi Arnaz to stardom before he was even there. And uh, Babalu showed up multiple times mm-hmm. in the run of I Love Lucy. And he got like the vaudevillian stuff that, uh, that uh, Fred would bring to the table sometimes. And then, I mean, the classic episode with Harpo and Lucy. Oh, man. Come on. That, I I love that one. Yeah, it's it's good. I mean, it's, I it's, yeah. I wouldn't say it's my favorite episode though. Do you, I mean? Do you guys have a favorite that jumps out at you as far as? Oh, well, the easiest you answer remember? you know is Vitamita Vegemin because it's just so so good. Absolutely, yeah. it's one of the perfect uh, half hours of comedy. Yeah, definitely my favorite. I asked Vitamita. my my mother what her favorite episode was, and she said it was one where the uh, Ethel and and uh. And and Lucille go on a retreat of some sort. I don't remember. She she couldn't remember the title or anything. But like she said, because just for some reason there was a line in it that stuck with her that made her laugh. When uh, they 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 decide they're going on strike, so they walk into the you know to the living room and tell Fred and 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 Ricky that you know Ethel and I are revolting. And you know they look at him and they go, well, no more than usual. <laughs> what were you gonna say, Mike? I I was gonna say the the candy wrapping one is still yeah one of my favorites. Vita 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 Vegemin is <laughs> is fantastic, but the physical comedy is I mean that like you had said talking about the Marx Brothers, I think that falls into the the humor of the facial expressions. It's one of the all time best like comedy bits. Period. Yeah, that candy yeah. scene. You know which one I always enjoyed that doesn't always get on the the higher up on the list is the the one where um, Ricky gets Superman to come to the birthday party to little Ricky's birthday party. Yes, George Reeves. Like, 
That yeah. is one of the best of the like Lucy has a guest star episodes. Nice. That one always, whenever I, I would see it in reruns, uh, I always got, it, it just made me happy. I don't know. Something yeah. about her being out on the ledge I always found really funny. And it was also just a much less contrived you know, celebrity appearance. Most of them seemed very shoehorned in. That one Forced. was a li- at least a little bit more natural. Yeah, I like the Harlem Globetrotters one. <laughs> that, that never How happened. did they end up on the island? <laughs> Where they're solving mysteries? Wait a minute. Right. I think we right. got the wrong show. <laughs> now, the another one, I mean, I want to say outside of Vitamin Vegemin and the candy wrapping scene, the Lucy's Italian movie episode with the grape fat. Absolutely. Yeah. Another one way high up on my list. Yeah, yeah, for sure, for sure. I mean, that's just one of the things, like, when you think of I Love Lucy, that's pop. I mean, you think of her doing the doing the promo, you think of her rapping things, and that's another one, her dressed up with her hair all tied up and all that. And I want to say this also. Lucy, pretty damn hot. Yeah. <laughs> Very attractive woman. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. She was and, 40 when they started the show. Right? And ballsy as fuck for Hollywood in 1950s. Mm-hmm. Oh, and they frumped up Vivian Vance as well. Cause you lo- look at uh, Vance just a couple of years before her run on, I love Lucy. She was a gorgeous lady. Yeah. She was they... required to always weigh more than, than Lucille ball in her contracts. It was part of her writers, which sucks. I mean, it's, I feel, you know, it, if you've read her book or you've, you know, you see the, the movie, I mean, it's just, it's, it's upsetting um, and unfortunate that, that they had to go that route. But yeah, we're going to get into some of the uh, troubles between the cast and uh, all of that. Uh, the individual uh, downsides to uh, the way the actors were with each other. I think a little more when we talk about uh, the Ricardos. Oh, you know, another good scene was um, uh, Ricky telling the the little red riding hood story to little ricky oh yeah i i always like that scene it's very it's very funny physical comedy from desi arnaz yeah and his little his little spanglish nursery rhyme <laughs> <laughs> it it still is an interesting thing that this to me that this show became what it was um because on paper it doesn't feel like it should be as amazing as it was, or that maybe it would even have been accepted. But I think it was just one of those kind of perfect storms where everything kind of came together and clicked. And, you know, just like the Beatles or, you know, uh, I'm trying to think of well, another example. I, it I didn't think at first. Yeah, I say it didn't really click, but I think I, I think it's a matter of the honestly, determination of her wanting to get this show going. Well, and that's the thing is uh, CBS saw the pilot and didn't want to pick it up. They had to go on the road and do the, I love Lucy vaudeville tour, uh, where she played the zany uh, housewife wanting to get into Desi's show. And the tour was a smash hit. They did this live for like a year in order to get this picked up. See, that is, there's a lot of things that I wish I could have been, at in the past and that is one of the things that i wish i could have been at you mean like a live taping oh my god yeah i was talking <laughs> about that with suzanne while we were while we were watching it. it was like could you imagine being one of the people that was on the show when they did vitamin vitamin vegemin 
I mean, just seeing that live being played in front of you. I mean, they don't nowadays the show. Nothing is done live in front of a studio audience. Well, and before before this, nothing was either, really, because the multi-camera sitcom, this was the first and they had the cameras pointed. So the audience had a clear view and you could still get all the angles you needed. It was actually Patrick in the background that said she beat him to it. So <laughs> Patrick is an old Jewish woman. She beat him to it. It's a lot you don't know about Patrick. That's yeah, I mean uh, so <laughs> before we move on to the break, one thing I want to talk about that they don't talk about so much in uh being the Ricardos is they talk a little bit about the business savvy, especially of Desi, but Desi Lou Productions, partially because uh, CBS did not understand what they had, and they only paid for the first broadcast rights. And because of that, Lucy and Desi retained the rights to all of the syndication, which made them a powerhouse. And because they had this production company that had this massive amount of success, massive amount of money, without I Love Lucy, you don't get Star Trek, you don't get Mission Impossible, you don't get The Untouchables. All three of those were Desilu. Yep. And uh, Desilu eventually became what is now Paramount Television. And that's fantastic. Now, one of the things that we had... Uh, they had talked about it, it's kind of crossing over into the now, but the mention of that they had what, 60, 80,000, 80, 80 million viewers of this time. And, and while, while I love Lucy was going on and how they had to like, they changed what days they were open late for the retail stores the because nobody stores, was out. Yeah. Yeah. The drug stores, because nobody was out because everybody's watching. I love Lucy. So I, looked at that and a hunt they said a hundred eighty million people were watching I Love Lucy in its heyday at, at the peak of its popularity. During that time, how many people what was the population of the United States, do you think? 130 million. Wow, that's a good guess. I have no idea. I like Patrick's guess. I I really yeah, don't no know. no no it's it is it, Josh. You got a guess? I I don't see. I remember they actually d- talked about this at the beginning of uh, of uh, being the Ricardos, but I watched it last week, so I'm, I'm not. Gonna yeah, well, they, 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 about they the sixty million. Or yeah, yeah the, eighty million. Eighty million viewers, and the population of the United States in that time was a hundred and eighty million people. It's almost half the country. Good God! Yeah, talk about water cooler show, man. I know, right? I mean, I mean, that's and that's in, in the being the Ricardos. I mean, like people watch, you know, the uh, Game of Thrones. It's event What's television, a, right? How how many people watch Game of Thrones at the at its peak when it was being released? And it's one of those situations where we can't even replicate that now because now we want a show comes on, and yeah, I'll catch it two days later when it's streaming. Back then. You, if you didn't catch Lucy on Monday night, you were out of the loop for an entire week. Right. And it's crazy when you talk about those numbers, because like on a given night, no show hits those numbers, despite how much greater the population is now. I'm not just talking as like per capita. You just you don't get 60 million, 80 million watching a single thing anymore. 
Yeah, fifteen million is a good number. Right. So yeah, well, and that's even accounting for how many more people there are now. I mean, it's a different world as far as like, you know. Yeah, TV isn't isn't like the majority entertainment option for the, the majority of the of the country anymore. Especially with all the streaming services and stuff. I mean, it's just you can get it what you want when you want. So yeah, you know, even, you even if TV get... is what you want, there's so many choices. Even if that, but there's so many other choices other than TV now. Right, and here here's something I, I grabbed a show that that's popular in our in our wheelhouse. So the Mandalorian. So the one one uh, thing that I saw said that 1.03 billion. Now this is weird because they changed it up. 1.03 billion minutes of the show were streamed during the week of its premiere. Right, because they can't get solid numbers because the Nielsen system doesn't make sense anymore with streaming. Yeah. In which There's... case, if anybody from Nielsen is listening to this show, I feel really bad for you guys. <laughs> yeah, I guess that's because, you know, if somebody watches the first 35 minutes and then watches the last 25 or whatever later, you can't count that as two viewings. Yeah. Well, also, it's total minutes. Yeah, it's hard to tell with uh, password sharing. Like you don't have uh, a good Nielsen data on, Okay, this house has four people and we have survey data that shows all four of them watching primetime on Disney Plus. That's just not how it works anymore. Right. Did anybody ever I mean, this is totally off the subject, but on the Nielsen thing, did anybody ever have or know of somebody that had one of the Nielsen boxes in their house? Nope. Nope. Never yeah, had one, but uh, knew someone at church who did. Okay. Back in the like early 80s. And that was like the thing is like in like in that time was. I, it felt like you carried some weight. Was I like, was heavier uh, then. That's why. <laughs> Joel was a fatty. I um, was. I know. I'm still a fatty. Yeah, I is right now. <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't, no, but, but I, I is now. But I'm I mean, not anymore. For for our listeners out there that are not privy on the whole idea of the Nielsen thing, it's like Nielsen would approach you and say, hey, we want to track what you watch. We are going to put a box attached to your TV, which will let us know what you're watching, how long you watch it, and all this data. You've been chosen that- to the box. be a Nielsen family. Yeah. In the box. And, and to be a Nielsen family, that was like a cool thing back then. Because you kind of had like, well, you know what? Tonight I'm going to watch this. Porn. <laughs> and now you pay for it and you're like box that spies on me get me a case of toilet paper right <laughs> getting toilet paper bloop, bloop. <laughs> Alexa order toilet paper getting, getting toilet paper getting bloop, printer bloop. paper I, if anybody accidentally ordered toilet paper while you're listening to this podcast let me know because that'll make my week that's hilarious <laughs> yeah <laughs> There was a, a big sitcom that was popular a couple of years ago where uh, they accidentally they made a gag like that and a whole bunch of people had Alexa orders go off. <laughs> Fucked if I can remember what it was. I like it. All right. Well, while you're thinking about that, I think we'll take a break. Yeah. 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 Sounds and like a modern be... family joke. Yeah, it does, doesn't it? Bleep blorp. We will be back in a little bit and we're going to talk about... Being the Ricardos, the 2021 film. Nicole, you got some explaining to do.
All right, we are back, and we are going to talk about Being the Ricardos. It is a uh, movie that showed up in 2021 on Amazon, Amazon Prime. It is a Hollywood facing the ever-present threat of Joseph McCarthy's smear campaign, Lucille Ball, America's beloved redhead and star of the tremendously popular CBS sitcom I Love Lucy, finds herself confronted with the Red Scare hysteria. As the American columnist and radio personality Walter Winchell drops a bombshell at the end of his broadcast, Lucille and her Cuban-American actor husband Desi Arnaz must survive one long, overwhelmingly eventful week, as if navigating a rocky marriage wasn't enough. As a result, in the following seven distressful days, scandalous gossip. All right. That's where I went off the road. Scandalous <laughs> gossip and ongoing infidelity will put the couple's relationship to the test. Nick Reganis, whoever you are, I respect you. Yeah, I thought that. that was a much better uh, summary than the official one. They're, the official IMDb ones are just 100% awful. I mean, you've got a good maybe 5% chance that they're all right. So this is directed and written by Alan Sorkin. Aaron. Who also did Aaron Aaron Sorkin, who also did uh, a few Good Men, Molly's Game, uh, writer on the West Wing, uh, the the screenplay for the Steve Jobs movie, uh, the Newsroom, the Social Network, the American President. That was actually I like that one. That was a pretty good movie. Did he do Sports Night as well? I don't know. I don't think so. Very well so, known, though. Very well yeah. Known. So this stars a one Nicole Kidman as Lucille Ball, Javier Bardem as Desi Arnaz, J.K. Simmons as a very William Frawley. <laughs> yeah. Nina Ariadana. Arianda. Arianda as Vivian Vance. Vance. Tony Hale as Jess Oppenheimer. Fresh out of the army. <laughs> uh, Aliyah Shakwat as Madeline Poog Jake Lacey as Bob Carroll Linda Levin as the older Madeline Poog Ronnie Cox as Odler, o- Odler? Yodler Bob Carroll John Rubenstein as older Jess Oppenheimer and Clark Gregg as Howard Weinke Good old plop just a super great cast here. Yeah, yeah. I was really impressed with the cast of this. You know, honestly, out of all these people, Tony Hale, I was as so much I wanted him to be screaming about missing his hand and that sort of I'm thing. I'm a monster! <laughs> you know, uh, he really... He's a hell of an actor. He really is, yeah. I mean, it's, he carried his character amazingly well. He's very good on Veep. Mm-hmm. Veep? Mm, mm-hmm. I have to watch that. He was good on a series of unfortunate events. Yeah, Veep is the Julia Louis Dreyfus where she she's the vice president and he's her head of whatever. Yeah. Okay. Stand. There's money in the banana stand, Patrick. So prior to filming, Lucy Arnaz, daughter of Lucille Ball and Desi Arnaz, told writer director Aaron Sorkin that it was okay to make Lucille stubborn and headstrong in the movie, as this is how she was in real life. After seeing the movie, Arnaz released a video on her YouTube channel on 
in October of 2021, which she called the movie Freaking Amazing. She complimented Sorkin for making a great movie that really captured the time period and had wonderful casting. She also said Nicole Kidman became my mother's soul. Wow, there's some heavy praise right there. Right. She also said that Javier Bardem didn't look like her dad, but has everything that her dad had. He had the wit, the charms, the dimples, and his musicality. Yeah, I thought it was real interesting uh, how much the, the kids uh, liked these portrayals, especially considering a whole lot of people were complaining about the casting. Like, they didn't like Nicole Kidman as Lucille Ball, like, before they saw it. People were bitching that uh, Javier Bardem, who's from Spain, was cast as a Cuban, uh, <clears throat> Cuban-American. And it's like, look, the, the people's actual kids thought they were great. Shut up. <laughs> I, I had, I admit, I'm one of those people that had reservations when I first heard about the casting, but within the first five minutes of the movie, maybe 10 minutes, I was in. I was all in. I'm like, yep, I get it now. But anyway, moving on. All right. So trivia number two, Desi misleadingly mentions that his family left Cuba due to the Bolshevik revolution, but in truth, they left in 1933 two decades before the Castro Revolution. There was a political coup in that year, but it was a different one. So there you go. Also, director Donald Glass is a fictitious person, either a composite of all the directors or a representative of Mark Daniels, who directed Fred and Ethel Fright. I was wondering why he wasn't listed in the list of directors up there. In the in the then, but I didn't mention it. So. Well, maybe they, you know, it's kind of like making the uh, icon of everything that sucked about having directors back then. Yeah, yeah, and, and just... uh, some things were changed for drama. Most of it was that while all this stuff happened, it did not all happen in the same week. It was over the course of three years. Oh, well, that's different. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Also, Linda Levin is the only actor in the film to have actually worked with Desi Arnaz when he guest starred on her series in Alice in 1976, which was also written by the character she's playing, Madeline Pug Davis. It was announced that Robert Pine was also cast in the film. He would have been the only actor to have worked with Lucille Ball on her series, The Lucy Show, from 1962. However, Pine is not in the final cut of the film despite still being attached to it in online listings. Huh. Wonder why they cut it. Hmm. Moving on. When asked about this project, Australian actress Kate Blanchett told The Hollywood Reporter in 2018 that she had been obsessed with Lucille Ball for a long time. You step onto a film set in America, and the male and female bathrooms on a film set are called Desi and Lucy, she said. Such is her influence. She added that the film is a work in progress, and she is very excited about it. Not anymore. Yeah. Sorry, Kate. Well, and it's interesting that both of the people who were in line for the part of Lucille Ball were Australian. So I thought that was worth keeping in there, that uh, she's such a cultural icon over there in Australia. That is interesting. I didn't even catch that. I didn't think about that aspect of it. So that is that is an interesting is Nicole Kidman is Australian? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I did not know that. Oh. <laughs> the more you know. So, fun fact, uh, Patrick and I both, uh, obviously, as referenced in the first half of the show, before we get into the meat of this, 
are huge fans so much so that my uh, Basset Hound is named Lucy. She's Lucille McGillapuppy uh, <laughs> because she uh, uh, is a red a red Basset and she's a big comedian, uh, big physical uh, comedian type personality. So yeah, we call her Lucy for short. And Patrick? Oh, I thought you were going to... Yeah. Um, yeah, and I actually I have a dog named uh, Lucy, but she she was named Lucy when I got her. Uh, she was a rescue, so uh, I stuck with the same name. You know, I didn't want to change her name or anything. But I do have uh, two cats, one named Ricky, who is Lucy's best friend, literally. Like they're it's they're inseparable. And we have another cat named Ethel because of it. And because we already have too many cats, we don't have a friend yet. But you said if you were to get another something, yeah, uh, cat or whatever, whatever pet you name it, I end up getting next is probably going to end up being Fred because of this. Yeah, yep. Got to so, stick with the theme. Fun trivia. I thought it was a good good place there, right in the trivia section, to throw that out there before we got into the the meat and potatoes. Definite. So, so oh, go ahead. I was going to say <laughs> first viewing for all of us. Nope. Nope. When did you nope. see it first? Uh, Laura and I watched this right after it came out. Uh, I actually, this was uh, second viewing. I watched it this morning again, just to refresh uh, oh. my memory. Plus I enjoyed it. So I wanted to see it again. Yeah. I'm always fascinated when we watch these kinds of things or when I watch on my own, anything is based on a real story. And this one was really close. Uh, most of it was timeline stuff. A couple of people who weren't here or there. You could see that they uh, put everything uh, as though it was in the second season of I Love Lucy. Uh, when some of the episodes they showed were first season, some were actually third. And they were planning for one that was fifth season, uh, Lucy's Italian uh, movie. Uh, aside from that, really, the only thing that didn't happen is that uh, while J. Edgar Hoover was involved in clearing Lucy's name, he did not appear on the telephone call in front of a live studio audience. He was actually a friend of Desi, and uh, but he did that didn't quite happen that way. That that was one of the things during watching this movie that I was like, all right, he. When uh, Desi was like, call him, he will get in touch with him. You know who he is and that sort of thing. It was like, who is, who is him? Right, who is and I didn't, him? yeah. And I did not expect it to be Jagger Hoover. Yeah. I think more telling is the fact that the telegram came back from the sponsor saying, don't fuck with the Cuban. That absolutely happened. That was awesome. Especially <laughs> when having Desi dancing off in the distance. That's fantastic. I that little, little shimmy as he walks oh, yeah. away to to that. Yeah, yeah, a hundred percent. I really enjoyed this movie. It was not what I expected it to be. Mm-hmm. You know, when I heard being the Ricaros, I was I was expecting I Love Lucy with that with that comedic twist. What I got was a reflection on the actual history of the show, compressed, like Josh had said. You know what? I would said but it took place over two, three years. They yeah. compressed into one week. But it, this movie carries some weight. 
Yeah, they were unflinching in their portrayals of the flaws <laughs> of the at least Frawley, Desi, and uh, Lucy without diminishing their brilliance in what they were doing with the show. And I thought that was a real neat t- uh, kind of tight tightrope to walk to like Lucy was reportedly hell to work with. And I think that was reflected. Uh, Desi's uh, philandering and drinking, but his brilliance as a businessman and uh, they dealt a little bit with how he uh, had some problems being second banana to his more famous wife and Frawley treating uh, Vivian Vance like shit famously. Uh, they they didn't pull any punches with the stuff you've heard, but it's weird. I kind of feel like I you hear the think pieces that are like, this thing you loved, here's this article that only shows how they were all shitty people. This showed the good and the bad, and I, I love that it was the whole picture, not just the good half of the story or the bad half. When, yeah. Oh, uh, go ahead, Joel. I was going to say, in Lucy's book, she talks about how William Frawley referred to her and Vivian Vance as uh, a couple of brass-bound bitches. Um, and I was surprised they didn't use that in the in in the movie. But uh, it was interesting how, like, the, the uh, instance where um, they tell Vivian, you know, that, oh, we saw you didn't eat breakfast and we brought you some more food. And then uh, her and Lucy have a talk about it. And Lucy confesses to, you know, being the one that was responsible for trying to get her to, to eat more. But at the same time, you could tell that there were still, it was sad, but there was still that respect with each other, even at, outside of that. So it's like this weird kind of love hate thing where there was times where they obviously had conflict, but they were still kind of a family and would stick up for each other and look out for each other. It was interesting dynamic. But Mike, what were you saying? Hmm? Oh, um, I was going to say J.K. Simmons and kind of what you was what you were talking about, where you have the family that sticks up for each other. J.K. Simmons was amazing in this. I think he as almost like the patriarch of the show. I don't. I don't even know how to put it, but where the scene where he takes Lucy to the bar at ten in the morning. 1015 somewhere. Yeah, it's 1015 somewhere. Uh, you know, are they, are, do they just not know who I am or are they being polite? These people don't own TVs. You yeah. know, uh, <laughs> I, thought, I actually laughed out loud at that point. Um, I think they really put forward the issue of having something that was so super popular that they didn't expect it to be. And the stress that goes with it and how you have something that's a live wire and a something that 80 freaking million people across the United States are watching. And you're doing with people that you don't 100% like, but you're doing the thing. So there's that like, almost like you said, that there's that respect of, I respect you, we work together, I don't like you, but I will defend you for what we're doing. And you saw that at the very end where uh, where when Desi was doing the announcement to the crowd, telling them what happened with the whole uh, communist thing, checking the box thing at the very end, spoilers, 
and how everybody came together despite all the conflict that was going on across the entire show. But then there's that interesting counterpoint where he goes basically, you know, to Helen back to clear her name and do it in a big way to both save the show and her reputation. But then as soon as that's done and you have this moment of like relief and oh, this is the end. It's good. Everything's back to where it should be. And then she's like, oh, by the way, here's the other handkerchief. I know you're cheating on me. We'll deal with this later. Let's go do a show. It's like that. Yeah, that that seemed kind of shitty for the end of the movie. But it, I think it just played to. I could the totally see that their being, relationship. I could totally see that being like a real thing that happened because, in her mind, that would be a way to kind of uh, torture him, get back mm-hmm. at him, whatever. It's like now you have knowing that you've destroyed our marriage, you have to come and immediately play the doting husband who who loves me and blah blah blah. Which is why she well, had that little meltdown where she kind of paused and realized herself that if that's what she wanted, she just had to take it as you know, as Lucy Ricardo, not Lucy Arnaz. Yeah, your was, your home is not a house. Your home is a stage set. Right. And they said that they never did second takes because the cost of you know three camera film, live studio audience, you know, was expensive. But in this one instance where they had two different uh, intros, she lost her self and thought for a minute and they had to reshoot it and it was probably because she had a moment of like okay things are different now so yeah it was it was interesting dynamic well and i think the reason they put that uh, at the end is because there's a wild roller coaster from the i think we're all going to get canceled even though the audience knows that didn't happen but there's some real tension they're building there. And then Desi's triumphant uh, speech defending his wife. And then there's that last shot in the groin. Like it's this wild, just uh, you're at the lowest point and then it builds up to a climax and then right back down. That I found incredibly effective. Well, it kind of reflects on the, the lifestyle of being in Hollywood TV. You know, yeah, you survive this week. Next week's going to come up and kick you right in the nuts again. And it's kind of, I mean, not to, not to be maudlin about it, but I mean, it's kind of the Lucille Ball story. It's like, Hey, some things just don't have happy endings. Yep. Yeah, and that's really what I was hoping for up until the whole handkerchief scene. <laughs> you know, it it, would, it just seemed to me it was like, oh right, you know, they finally cleared this. They finally cleared this, and now she she seems very controlling in this. And I know it was some it was part of her personality. Like if Lucy wanted things done the way things, the way Lucy wanted things done. But I don't know. I, I kind of wish for a happy ending. Hmm. I, I don't know that I had any preconceived notion about which, you know, which way I felt it should. I wasn't sure how it was going to end, to be honest, but I, I think, I think it all tied up in a way that it made sense with the reality of the characters, the, mm-hmm. the people themselves, the real people. 
Right. And when this thing started, I wasn't quite sure because I wasn't expecting the faux documentary angle. And at first I, I fell for it until I saw uh, Ronnie Glass. Yeah. Or Ronnie Cox. Ronnie Cox. Ronnie Cox. Yeah. Ronnie Cox yeah. 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 I was about halfway through. I'm like, wait a second. I saw your eyeballs pop. Yeah. That's why I recommended watching the Lucy and Desi uh, documentary before watching this, because then you're like, oh, OK, that's not Jess Oppenheimer. That's not, you know, because we had watched it and then we watched this. And so we could put like actual faces with names. And uh, it was an interesting thing, which, by the way, I, I've said it before on the show to you guys. But to those who are listening, there's the Amy Poehler documentary that is also streaming on Amazon Prime. Uh, and all the episodes of Lucy are on Hulu. All of them. And the Hulu. Lucy show. And the Lucy Lucy. <laughs> what is that from? <laughs> Seinfeld. That's right. You you could have Lucy. eight hours of Lucy. <laughs> Thank you. I love Lucy. The Lucy show. Lucy. Here's Lucy. <laughs> Speaking of which, Vivian Vance and her work together indefinitely. I don't remember a lot of lot of series after that, so I mean, they there hammered it home it. pretty well in this movie, but I mean, how how shitty of it is it to have like a role where you're just as attractive as the lead, but you're never allowed to look that way, right? Just a shitty situation to be in because you know she's like, this is this is a you know a money train, a gravy train is going to lead to all kinds of good things, but in order to take it, I have to be this character who's never going to be considered anything sexy. In any way. Yeah, most of the jokes are about how unattractive you are. Right. And how much does that screw with your head? Mm -hmm. It it takes its toll, you know? For sure. But all in all, I think this was a great... great, I don't want to say retrospective? No, that's not the right word. Biopic? Biopic. Yeah, it was a great biopic on the ex- about what Lucy went through to get this show done and kind of gives a tip to what a juggernaut she was at the time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And the, the, how, how much effect she had in the future. She made this show to impact her life. Uh, in one way, and it ended up having a completely different course and a completely different effect on her life and her marriage. I also want to give a call out while uh, he didn't have the same singing voice as the real Desi Arnaz. I was surprised that Javier Bardem uh, in the music. Yeah. He had some pipes. He, he really did. I mean, and it took me about a quarter of the way through the, through watching this. And I'm like, wait a second. I've seen that guy. I've seen that guy strangling another man. <laughs> <laughs> well, I was watching. I was watching this on um, on on a um, illegal stream down download site, and it only lists Allegedly. like four. Yeah, right. It only lists like four actors in the in the cast and you know section. So Javier Bardem was not listed. And I keep watching it. I'm like, this guy is is doing a really bad Javier Bardem impression. Who is this guy? <laughs> and I had to like look it up on IMDb because it was driving me nuts. I'm like, this guy. Wait, what? And then I'm, I see his name, and I'm like, oh yeah, it's just because. Of course, he's impersonating himself. No wonder yeah. it's so good. 
Turns out <laughs> it's it's uh, uh, J.K. Simmons in dual role. This is this guy could come in third in a Javier Bardem lookalike contest. It's Jeffrey Dean Morgan <laughs> pretending to be Javier Bardem. I got that reference. Thank you. But yeah, but no, I I, this... I really enjoyed this. I thought it was well done, well acted, well written. A good in you know, it, and, and a good mix of the of seeing you know the, the the good and the bad of the people behind the scenes, and just you know, yeah, and still alert, not tarnishing it, the love of Lucy. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I, I think a- that was the number one thing about this. Is it while it did show everybody as being human and show everybody as being, you know, oh flawed. yeah, like, oh my my favorite scene I think was the scene be- between Tony Hale and Nicole Kidman when he called her out on like you know you're trying to give away my the title of executive oh, my producer God. like it's a toy. Yeah, like it's a parking spot. Yeah, yeah, that's what it was. Yeah. Oh my god. Yeah, and that was a point where I turned to Susie and I was like, "Oh my god, Don Hill is like rocking this role. I mean, he yeah. is, he is not the he he's no longer the brother from uh, Arrested Development in this one. He is a hundred percent carrying himself. He's showing his chops in this. Yeah, he's like like I said, he's a, he's he's really good. Yeah, yeah. But All everybody always- in this was great. There's always that concern when you you see biopics or documentaries or things that you maybe walk away with a different uh, feeling about something or that it might tarnish your image of somebody or something or it might change your perspective and you won't love that thing the way you used to. Um, And this, even though, it, like we've said before, kind of shows things in a real kind of uh, unflinching light in a lot of time, a lot of instances it didn't change my opinion on the show and I, I don't watch it now and go, man, I wish I wouldn't have seen that movie. Well, I could yeah. never, I, I could never see R Kelly the same after watching that movie. You know, him. Oh my yeah, God. I just got pissed really? off after that one. <laughs> anyway, pissed, <laughs> pissed on. Sorry. But no, I mean, you're, you're right. I mean, a lot of times they show these picks with just the, I, with a hundred percent goal to knock somebody down a peg. In this one, it's like, yeah, you know what? It, everybody's kind of shitty in this. You're going to have to get over it. You're going to have to deal with it. But this is what happened. And it, and it makes it a little more uh, like realistic and believable, honestly. Right. Because that's that's life. Life exists in, in grayness, not in black and white. Yeah. So I think we've reached the uh, last of the conversation on this one. Yeah, um, well, it's pretty obvious. I think we go to thumbs up, thumbs down. Yeah, I mean, I it, does anybody have any thumbs down in any moment? I in say, this? I'm pretty sure this is going to be a clean sweep. Yeah, I think it's a clean sweep. All thumbs up across the board for I Love Lucy and uh, being the Ricardos. 100%. Wrestling thumbs up all the way around. Wrestling thumbs. And just for Lucille Ball and in general, a big thumbs up for everything yep. that she represents. Oh, and Ricky, too. Yeah. Babalu. I mean, yeah, they kind of like drama it up his uh, whole why he escaped from Cuba. But, you know, at the same time. But they they both broke so many barriers in their own ways, you know. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Racially and, and gender wise. Yeah. yeah. yeah basically, uh, television production pre I Love Lucy, like we touched on this just a little bit in the trivia. But in a lot of ways, not only Paramount, but modern Hollywood 
at least on the television side, comes directly from Desilu. Because before this, most TV was shot in New York. Yeah. With a, with a single camera, usually. Mm-hmm. 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 Uh-huh. All right. So, so much props. So we've got a clean sweep, uh, four thumbs up twice. So I guess that's eight. <laughs> if you want to correct my math on that. <laughs> Look at you flexing that degree. <laughs> right? Let, let us know. Uh, give us a call at 708-NOW-RAP. That's 708-669-9727. Yep. And if you're uh, looking for our back catalog of shows, you can find them out on your favorite podcast app. Look on uh, Podbean or Pandora, and if you like the show, leave us a note. Leave us a rating on Apple, Google, or Amazon Podcasts. You can also support us by the coffee link in the show notes and help us keep hosting costs at bay. Joel, what do we have coming up? I'm crushing your head. I'm crushing your head. Uh, We're talking about uh, Kids in the Hall are back. Uh, Chippendale Rescue Rangers are back. House Party is back or back (laughs) (laughs) we're gonna be talking about all that and a lot more but we're just gonna leave it at that right what are we gonna throw out our backs (laughs) 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 all right everybody so yeah looking forward to uh kids in the hall and all the chippendale i'm again say it again i'm really excited for house party and uh we will be back next week and thank you for listening I'd keep 50 million and I'd divvy up the rest amongst everybody else. No, no, no. We're not talking about. We're not talking about like something. We're talking about what's your first rule for the world? Everybody has That's to do the rule. This. I gotta get everybody. No, to it's. We're not, not talking about wealth public. distribution. We're talking no. like we're not talking policy. We're talking what's your first rule? Rule. Everybody has to do this. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> And this is why you will never be emperor of the world, Joel. Yeah.